0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the Scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called, A Man After God's Own Heart, on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings light to God's heart.
1: Well, then continuing our series on David, a man after God's own heart, and we're, we we've really spent three weeks, this will be the third week, looking at what's called the... Davidic covenant or the covenant God made with David concerning uh, his eternal dynasty. But the main thing we're looking for as we study the life of David, and there are lots of different things you could look at, but we're trying to understand why is it that God called him a, a man after his own heart? What were the things in David that God liked? And by grace we believe, of course, that Anything in David that God liked, God put there, but, you know, it's a mysterious partnership between us and God, and we give him the credit and we take the blame for anything that's not the way it ought to be. And last week we looked at the concept of promises and the nature of God's covenants or his super promises, where he, like with the seriousness of a marriage vow, promises to fulfill things on on our behalf quick review of the story. It's uh, told in 2 Samuel. David wanted to build God a house, a temple, a place of worship, since he'd built himself a nice house. And he tells the prophet, the prophet says, great. The prophet has a dream that night where God speaks to him and says, go back to David. That's not, you know, uh, what I want him to do. And so, Nathan goes back, tells David that, and then God says, I also want you to tell him this. So something kind of out of the shot across the bow, something completely unexpected from going to uh, talking about building plans for a temple to talking about God making, wanting to do something for David. Some people are very hard to do things for because they're just such servants. And you try to, they've done so much for you, so you think of something to do for them it ends up not working out, but they give you something else on top of that. So now you really feel beholden and you just, you can't outgive God. He is so generous and whatever we do to serve Him, what He does to serve us is so much, so much greater. So this morning we want to look at what, a couple of things. First, what should we do with God's promises? The second thing is, what do we learn about God in this story? And the third is, what do we learn about David? So let's talk about what should we do with God's promises, and I'm going to give you a, a moment to talk amongst yourselves uh, to identify a couple of God's promises. Now, this will obviously favor those that have been reading their Bibles. Sorry about that, but I just—I'm just fishing. I'm not looking for any right things. I'm just seeing for if you need to add a couple of other people to your group to come up with anything, fine. We won't zero in on you afterwards when I ask, but uh, talk amongst yourselves and think of if, if everything you know from the Bible. Uh, can you think of anything that God has made a promise? All right. Well, if the noise is dying down, let me do, let's just see what what comes up out of the group. Give me give me some examples. Okay, the c- covenant that He gave at the time of Noah. So if we see a comet coming toward the world, we should. Remember that covenant, okay. Yes, okay. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, yeah, the promise of the second coming. That's how Revelation ends. It says, even so, Lord Jesus, come, because he's promised to come. What else? Any promises, kind of promises you claim for your own life in situations? Okay. Okay. Uh, Lo, I am with you always. He will never leave you or forsake you. Very good. The promise of forgiveness. That's a, And that's a promise. It's not like a lottery. You know, we only have 10 slots of forgiveness, but put in your request, you might get it. You know, you could be a winner. Oh, what a wonderful one. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So there are lots and lots of promises. Now, the second task you have. <laughs> is to discuss the different options of what God might want us to do with his promises. Okay, we don't just want to set that up and say, well, he promised he'll return. What do you think God wants you to do? Is there anything you're supposed to do, or are you just supposed to say, huh, and then keep going on with your life? Is there anything you're supposed to do with his promises? Okay, go for it. What is it we're supposed to do with God's promises? Any thoughts? Trust, okay, trust in the promise giver that he'll do the promise, okay. Okay, live in the, with the consequences of those, uh, of of your trust in his promises, uh huh. Yeah, be be grateful, uh, aware of them, and, and, uh, realize that you could have lived a life with no promises, yeah. Continue to ask him to fulfill them. Very good, very good. Keep your focus spiritual, Uh uh-huh. Very good. Hey, yeah, pass it on. That's right, yeah. If he says, I'm going to provide for you, then you don't wait, hold back and say, well, we'll see if he follows through, and then I'll step out. There are a lot of times when God told him, you step out like in those movies, you know, where there's nothing there, and they step out and there's something under their foot somehow, you know. That's sort of a... A picture of what it seems like God wants us to do sometimes, isn't it? Second Peter 1.4 says, of course, this is the Apostle Peter, and this is a, a book he wrote later on in his life. And We're going to listen to what he says about promises. Could someone read that nice and loud?
0: Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature of and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires.
1: Okay. So it says that God has given us promises. He uses two adjectives. They are precious, very valuable, and they are magnificent. They're very big in their scope. And then it says, in order that by them, in other words, through your right use of the promises... You can become a partaker of the divine nature. Wow, that is a great phrase, isn't it? But it means you can become like God in, your, in who you are, the way you are. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It's like you've been held a prisoner by, by your desires and your fleshly wants, and it's God's desire to set you free. And one of the keys that sets you free are those promises. So those promises should be something very uh, important and very valuable to us. Have you ever been given a gift card? How many people got a gift card at Christmas time last year? I got a couple. I got a couple I've lost, too. We we had a gift card for a heavenly ham, and we got a great moment last weekend to use it. We couldn't find it anywhere. So anyway, we had no heavenly ham. So what do you have to do with a gift card for it to be more than just a piece of plastic? You have to go to the store where they will deliver on that promise and use it. Look at 2 Samuel 7, and let's see what David did with this promise. Okay, we're going to look at the response of David, because God has just given him the biggest promise he's ever gotten in his whole life. Starting in verse 25, 2 Samuel 25. Can someone read verse 25 for us?
0: And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised.
1: Good. Do as you promised. And that's exactly, Kevin, what you'd said. As far as uh, claiming... You've heard the phrase, claiming God's promises. He also says in verse 28, O sovereign Lord, you are God, your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things. In verse 29... Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant. And that's one of the things he promised to do. He says, so do it. Sounds a little cheeky, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, that it might may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken. You have promised. You have spoken. Do as you have said. Now we tend to think, let's, let's go back a minute. We tend to think that if God has promised it, we tend to think it's automatic, he set it up this way, he promised, it's going to happen. And that we almost view that like that's that shows how much I trust him because I just leave it like that, leave it right there. And so if it's automatic, we don't need to pray. Oh, we can thank him, you know, but we don't need to pray for it because he's already promised it. On the other hand, if it's something that he hasn't promised, there are lots of things God hasn't promised. You know, you've got a big picnic coming up Saturday. You don't want it to rain. Well, God has not promised to let you in every minute or moment of your life determine all meteorological events by you just saying something, you know. He, he may do it, he may not do it, but he, you can't claim a promise that God is going to not let it rain on your picnic. So if he hasn't promised something... We don't know if it's his will, and therefore we think, well, we don't need to pray about that because you should pray about things that you're sure what God wants. And so we end up with that attitude of we just don't pray. If if it's things he's promised, we don't need to pray because he promised it. If it's something he didn't promise, then we don't know his will, so we can't pray because we don't know his will. What do you think about that? Both of these things are wrong. If God has promised something, the pattern all the way through the Bible is that you take that promise and you hold it up to God again and again and again and again and says, do as thou hast said. Whether it's for your forgiveness, whether it's for your sanctification. He he said, by these promises, you can escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. Do you have corruption in your heart? That's come in from the world, and it's, uh, fleshly lust, fleshly desires. You, th- you think, this is wrong, this is terrible in me, I shouldn't be this way. And God has made a promise. He says, I, I will sanctify you. That says, well, I mean, uh, it's not there yet, Lord. <laughs> you promised that you would sanctify me, and I am reminding you of your promise. And as we go through the scripture, we realize God never takes offense at that. He never says, well, you of little faith. Why are you reminding him of my my promise? In fact, uh, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7 says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, God speaking, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, he had promised to do that. And he says, I have appointed people that their only job is to stand on the wall and yell up to me and say, God, you haven't done it yet, and you promised to do it. And for some reason, God likes that. He he wants you to pester him with his promises. And those are the things that he has promised, okay? So that covers a lot of things, a lot of wonderful things. Forgiveness, eternal life, sanctification, answered prayer, tons of things that the promises cover. But let's also talk about what the promises haven't covered. Well, he's giving you some promises for that too. Like John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So when you're praying for something that God hasn't given you for the rain for your picnic, you can admit that, Lord, I realize in the grand scheme of things this is not a significant thing for world harmony and peace, but I would love for it not to rain on my picnic on Saturday. And you have said, if if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. You didn't say things that are bigger than a certain size. You know, that this is that there's something that's too little to ask him for or something that's too big to ask him for. And so as much as I know I'm abiding in your word, your word's abiding in me, and, and you, I'm just doing what you said. And I would really like it not to rain on my picnic on Saturday. And I'm trusting for your perfect will to be done. So when it's his promise, you remind him of it, and you say, do as thou hast said. When it's something he hasn't promised, but that's important to you, then you take one of those promises. Like John 15 said, the promises of answered prayer, and remind God of what he said. It's his problem how to figure it all out. Don't say, well, you know, well, the farmer's probably just two blocks over, need rain. No, let God figure that out, you know, as far as how to, because you see, the thing is, you're not the only person praying. You know, there are about 10,000 other people praying maybe that it'll rain or hail or, or you know, that it'll be cooler, hotter. Only God could figure out the, the spaghetti mess we send up to Him of prayers. And, and we even change our minds sometimes. You know, we'll be praying along and then something says, Oh, no, don't, 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 cancel that, you know. And God says, He's, he's perfectly big enough to handle that. But he, it brings great glory to Him when you're not passive about your prayers, that you're active. The prayer of faith is the active ingredient. Some of you have made pudding or Jello, and it comes in a box, and you don't just get a spoon out and eat it and serve it to your kids. Here's a spoon of powdered Jello. You know, you you have to mix water with it or what, mix whatever they told you to mix with it, and. God's promises are like that powdered jello mix. He says, You must add the prayer of faith. Jesus said, Tarry in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So they, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. They met in the upper room for 10 days, praying, Lord, do as thou hast said. And the Holy Spirit came. 10 days praying and praying, that God would do what He said. Why why don't they just wait? Let's just have a barbecue, sit around. Anybody got a video we can watch in the meanwhile? He just said, wait. We're to watch and pray. Hebrews 6.12, take a look at that. Maybe someone can read that. Talks about inheriting the promises, which means receiving what God has promised. Can someone read that? so that you may not be sluggish. Who amongst us has not been sluggish at times? Sometimes lazy, sometimes unmotivated. He says, I don't want you to be sluggish, but I want you to imitate other people that have gone before you who have inherited the promises. How have they inherited the promises? Through faith and patience. What does that mean? When he says faith, that's code for the prayer of faith. Faith isn't just, I believe. And patience isn't, just waiting around. Patience, mean, is, is, is the biblical term for persevering in prayer. You look at most of the things Jesus said about prayer, and he, what was it? It was keep praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. Knock. Keep on knocking. Ask. Keep on asking. You think, well, I don't want to pester God. He's got so many big things to worry about. He says, I've ordered you to. You either pester me or you're disobeying me. For some reason, he loves the interaction, even if it's all based around our needs. He said, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven, and then everything else is requests. Yeah, but that sounds kind of selfish. He says, I don't care. He says, there's the most wonderful transaction that happens. As you recognize a need, you have the faith to come to me instead of going to every other place. You express your need in faith. You trust that I'm going to do what's best and right and good. Then you receive what I give you as an answer to prayer, not just like, hey, well, I was sure lucky. And then you're filled with thanksgiving and praise. He says that's the way uh, you breathe heaven's air and the way God enjoys your fellowship. So through faith and through patience, we inherit the promises. It's in partnership with God that we reach up and grab the gift card and pull it down to earth. And that's why your prayers are much more important than you realize. A drop of prayer is like nitroglycerin. It's not just... Uh, a lot of people think of prayer as like it's it's a gun filled mostly with blanks. But every once in a while you get one off, you know. So you go ahead and fire for a fake bang, 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 bang. But you know most of the time it doesn't happen. But every once in a while, oh, wow, man, that one got him, you know. And uh, God wants you to realize that every prayer you pray in faith in the name of Jesus is uh, is a heavenly currency that is spent. They're collected in golden bowls in heaven. It is what pulls heaven down to earth and will someday result in the coming of our Lord Jesus again. And so, even if it, the answer you get comes back in gold rather than silver, or comes back in this door instead of that door, God is always responding the true prayer of faith. I'm praying Acts 16.31 for my extended family. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household, which meant extended family. I'm not totally sure it's legitimate, you know, to take that from my situation. Paul tells it to the Philippian jailer. We are a little bit removed from that situation, but just in case... I say, just in case, Lord, it's okay for me to take this promise, I am taking this promise. And I would rather have believed too much than believe too little. I don't want to perfect my skepticism. I want to grow in faith. So I, I pray that for my extended family. I pray Luke eleven thirteen. if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Can you finish it? To those who ask him, he says, well, Why do we have to ask? He says, That's part of the deal. He says, We're in partnership. You have to ask. So I'll tell, I'll tell God that. I say, You said, if I'm evil and I still know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will you give me the Holy Spirit if I ask? I'm asking. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And that's praying God's promises. Second, let's take a look and see if we can harvest some, some thoughts from this passage about what we can learn about God. He makes promises. He makes promises. God goes out on a limb for you. He binds himself with his holy word. Why do so many people think twice about getting married these days? Well, they think, I'm going to make this promise, and then things aren't going to go well, and I'm going to wish I hadn't made the promise. Well, don't you think God could have thought that at some point? I mean, we're definitely the weaker part of the deal, you know? He's not going to blow it. Uh, So as as he comes into covenant relationship with you and says, well, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to let you say you belong to me, and then we go out and do something really bad, how does that make him look? Well, you call yourself a Christian, you're God supposedly so holy, and look what you did. I mean, God's all the time put his name at risk by associating with guys and girls like us. But he makes promises, he makes commitments. Second, he doesn't show favoritism. Now, he really loved David, but David wanted to build a temple, and because David had been involved in so much warfare, God says, no, I'd rather somebody that hadn't killed so many people build my temple. That would have been deflating to me. It's like, wow, you know, and all of us have things in our life that have happened or things about us that disqualify us for certain things. It might be a gender thing, it might be a marital status thing, it might be a sin thing, it might be any number of things. And sometimes you can feel like you're sort of second hands of, you know, damaged goods like you used to, you would have been able to do this, but now you can't, they won't let you, whatever. But we see here that David was God's favorite guy, and yet he didn't show him any favoritism. But it was okay. God still did great things through him, just not what David had wanted to do. Third, God is interested in generations. God is interested in generations. He's not just looking at David. He's looking at hundreds of generations after David. Now, you probably think about your children. You may even be thinking about your grandchildren or your future grandchildren. But I doubt you're thinking about your great-great-grandchildren. And I doubt you know much about your great-great-grandfather. I mean, really, our world has sort of shrunk in around us. But when God sees you, He sees the beginning of a whole tribe of people that will love Him. And can you imagine thousands of people flowing out of your life? You know, you feel so, so little, so like, well, me, you know, my little thing, you know, and the few things I've done are okay, you know, not great. And then, but on the top of that, it's it's uh, evened out by I've, I haven't been the person I should have been, etc. And and the Bible shows us God taking people just like you and multiplying them to bless the whole world. He grows his kingdom. Fourth, God didn't appear to David or speak to him audibly. Doesn't it strike you as strange? Here, David supposedly is his favorite guy. In the very last book of the Bible, he's still talking about David. David's a man after my own heart. He, David talks to Nathan. Nathan says, do it. And that night, God talks to Nathan. I mean, like, hey, remember Saul, who God didn't like? He had two ecstatic experiences with the Holy Spirit and ripped off his cloak, cloak and is lying there prophesying with the prophets. And, and Solomon, God appeared to him uh, when, at the dedication of the temple and says, what, what do you want me to do for him? And here's David, it's like, well, how about me? Uh, why couldn't God have spoken to me last night instead of to Nathan? Yeah, but why some, not others? And maybe you've thought that sometimes. You've heard some pretty cool stories at times of God did this, or God said this, or I saw this, and and, and maybe you've seen some stuff, but most people haven't. And you think, well, I guess they're first-class Christians and then there's me, you know? But I I just want to draw your attention here uh, that David had neither of those experiences that his predecessor had nor his son had. But whose life, spiritual life was more developed? By far, David was the more spiritual of the three. Who was more mature? David was more mature. Who was more blessed? David was more blessed. Don't measure God's favor by the quantity and quality of your spiritual experiences. It's the quality of your response to God that makes the difference. And you can do something about that. You can't make God appear to you at night. But in God's mind, it's like it doesn't matter because uh, the truly mature person is walking by faith, not by sight. They don't have to have a, a lot of visual aids. Fifth, God is willing to associate himself with weak and stumbling people, weak, stumbling people like me and like you, and is committed to making them great. In 2 Samuel 7... He had not yet fallen into sin with Bathsheba. He hadn't had Uriah killed yet. But do you think God knew those things were around the corner? Yep. You think, God, what are you doing? Stepping in and making this big commitment to this guy who's going to be a scoundrel three chapters later. And God says, I know what he's going to do. But God goes ahead and makes this commitment to David anyway. God works with weak and stumbling people and is committed to making them great as they seek him and even when you fall into sin you 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 confess it you deal with it you accept the discipline that God gives the church gives. I talked to one leader in a church who's leader of a couple of small groups and he said yeah the church has disciplined me about three times <laughs> and uh, but he'd gone through the discipline now he's a small group leader again and I thought, wow, that says a lot about him, and it says a lot about the church, <laughs> a lot about him that he'd still be going to this church three times, I mean, like, hey, and that the church would fully restore him to a place of service. So what do we learn about David? A couple of things on David, and this has most to do with our title about David being a man after God's own heart, and we want to apply it to our life. The first is David wanted to do something great for God. He wanted to do something great for God. Now, when Saul had won a battle back in 1 Samuel 15, it says Saul went up to this place and he built a monument to himself. (laughs) A lot of people want to do something great for themselves, but David wanted to do something great for God. Second, he seeks godly counsel before he moves ahead on it. I mean, it was a perfectly good idea to build a temple for the living God and to honor God. But nevertheless, he talks with Nathan the prophet about it. He doesn't just go ahead and say, well, I'll think I'll just do this. He seeks godly counsel. Third, he doesn't get mad at God when God won't let him do it. He doesn't get angry at God. I've known some people that they had a hard time forgiving God. They had a the good idea. I wanted to do, to do this for God. I wanted to go in the ministry. I wanted to be a missionary, whatever it is. And God didn't come through, and it's like, now I'm bummed out with God. Can't, can't work with this kind of a God. And I was, I was well-intentioned, had a good plan, and God doesn't seem to care about me enough to help me do what I wanted to do for him. But David it doesn't, almost doesn't skip a beat. He doesn't go moping around a couple of days. He moped around, you know, when his, when his child died. There were a couple of situations where he, he, he could mope, you know. He could be depressed. But this is like, okay, we don't need to build a temple, you know. What can we do? Uh, and he ends up uh, assembling all the raw materials for the temple. Fourth, he doesn't get jealous. He doesn't get jealous that God spoke to Nathan the prophet and not directly to him. Now, I'm sure none of you have problems with competing and comparing, but people in some of the other classrooms up there do. And so if you see him, mention this to them. But, uh, but he doesn't say, he spoke to you. I'm the one with the question. He doesn't even mention it. He doesn't say, well, how come he spoke to you? Am I not good enough? Uh, do you have to be a holy man for God to speak to you? He doesn't get jealous of Nathan. Nathan. Fifth, he quickly adjusts to God's revealed will. He adjusts to God's revealed will, even when it is not what he originally planned to do for God. There really is a difference between what you would like to do for God sometimes and what God would like you to do for Him. You would like to live long and prosper and serve Him in a variety of ways, and He may have a particular different road for you to go down a sickness in you, your spouse, a child, a a financial situation. There are all kind of big changes that can happen and totally turn your life upside down and dump in the trash, whatever it was you were thinking you wanted to do for God. And one of the things that measures your having a heart for God is you adjusting to his new plan and say, this is fine. I'm his penny. He can spend me any way he wants. If this is the way he wants his servant to live, where he wants me to be, what he wants me to be doing, that's fine. All I deserve today was to be in hell. And this is not hell. This is fine. I'm fine. And sixth, he receives and believes the promise of God gave him. <clears throat> he receives and believes the promise God gave him and thanks him as though it had already come to pass instead of snickering and unbelief. Remember, Sarah, you know, you will have a son, and she starts laughing in the other tent, you know, but God hears her and says, oh, you did laugh. She said, I didn't laugh. He said, you did. You laughed. David doesn't laugh here. I mean, this is really a wild promise God's giving him. I mean, it would be one thing if you'll have a long-lasting dynasty, but this idea of you'll have an eternal dynasty, I mean, there's no way that could even happen, really, Nothing is forever here in this world. But it turns out, since Jesus Christ was his descendant, it could happen. It could happen. And so David hears this promise of, uh, I'm going to establish a house, give you offspring, an eternal dynasty, a great name, eternal loving kindness. And David says, all right, I'll take it. Uh, I don't care how preposterous it sounds, it sounds good to me. And he received and believed God's promise and thanks him as though it had already come to pass. He said, it's like he'd already been given it. And all he had was God's word on it. So how about you? What's the nature of your relationship with God? Do you want to do something great for God? Or do you think, well, that's really for other people. That's for people who are smarter, younger, older, richer, have greater abilities. They they like getting up and talking to people. They they are they're more gifted in prayer. They know more about the Bible. That's that's for other people. The idea of doing something great for God. But I think a person after God's own heart wants to do something great for God. It may not seem great to other people. You know the widows might she put in two pennies and nobody else notices. And Jesus, oh, did you see that? And he said, well. She's kind of old, but uh, no, no, what she did? Well, yeah, she dropped something in the pot there. He said, yeah, it was two pennies. He says, that's the biggest gift that's been given today. There are things that you can do that will be very great for God that won't seem very great to anybody else. The cup of cold water, that service in secret of a person who's not even very grateful. Some of you may end up having to take care of an elderly parent, of a wayward child, all kind of things that the world thinks, oh, that's just kind of a waste of time. And God says, no, you're bringing me great honor and glory because when you do that, you're acting like I do every day. All of God's children are wayward. All of his people have problems. He's at every funeral. He's in every hospital room. He's at the scene of every accident and every crime. And so sometimes for parts of your life he calls you into a place that seems like it's sucking the life out of you and all you're doing is giving and serving and nobody notices and nobody cares and the person receiving the benefit of what you do doesn't understand what you're doing for them. And God says, when you do that in my name, you are doing something much greater than if you built a whole temple out of gold to me. You're bringing glory to God in a selfish and sad world and you're laying up treasures in heaven. What are you doing today as we finish with God's precious and magnificent promises? May God help you to move forward on recognizing and praying back to Him what He has said, that that actually is the active ingredient, that is the trigger on the gun. Say, Lord, I'm going to keep it simple. You said this. Do as you have said. You've told me to give you no rest until you establish and make Jerusalem a praise on the earth. And my, you personally have needs, your family has needs, your country has needs, your church has needs, the world has needs. And we're not to be spectators, we're to be active agents, reaching up where God has promised, grabbing it and pulling it down and continuing to pull it down until until His kingdom has come and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You today. We praise You for this wonderful story of David, of this covenant that You made with him, this promise that shows us so much about You. And David's response that shows us so much about the kind of person that you love to have in your family and love to have serving you. We pray that you'd help us to dream great dreams for you, to really want to do great things for God. Teach us to pay attention to your promises and to learn how to plead those promises before you in the way that you've taught us. Help us to seek godly counsel on important decisions, to respond well when you bring a major change in our life, where we have to adjust to you. And, and, and to a different type of service than we had planned for and been uh, desirous of. Lord, well, we thank you for each family here, for each person here, for the visitors today. We ask you to seal this word in their hearts and use it according to your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing
0: Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.